Welcome to the Human Performance Outliers podcast with your hosts, Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. At Human Performance Outliers podcast, we dive into a wide range of topics revolving around health, nutrition, and physical fitness. If you enjoy the show and wish to support us, please visit patreon.com forward slash HPO podcast. If you do not use Patreon but still wish to support us, please also consider checking out our PayPal page at paypal.me forward slash HPOpod. The link to both of those can also be found in the show notes. Finally, please consider subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform. Now, on to the next topic. Phone, she reset my password. Oh, okay. Oh. So I had to FaceTime her in Norway to be able to get it. Oh, man. Are you, are you, where are you at right now, Ed? Are you, are you, looks like uh, you're in the suburbs, suburbs just outside of, the, of Chicago on the south side. Oh, okay. So oh, you're still cool. up in the Chicago area. Yeah, so it's, uh, it's, uh, we got uh, wonderful weather here, as you can see. Yeah, I can see the snow. Oh, yeah, you're getting all the winter. I've got yeah, family kind of in the northern Illinois, southern Wisconsin area, so I always hear about the big storms coming through. <laughs> yeah, they usually get hit the hardest. I'm in, in, in between southern and northern, so I don't get that much. Yeah, I used to live up, when I was a kid, I lived in Chicago Heights, and then... Uh, I, I, uh, I, I fight there a few times a week out in the Heights. Oh, do you? Yeah, my grandfather yeah. was my grandfather was like the Gold Gloves boxing champ in Chicago Heights when he was a he was a young man. You know, back back in the, 30s. Back in the day, uh, Chicago Heights was uh, quite the place. Yeah, yeah. He he actually fought like when Joe Lewis fought Max Schmeling. He was one of the undercards. He was on the fight. Oh so. wow! So he's a pretty yeah. good boxer back then. My dad used to say, "Don't mess with Grandpa." I just remember that. <laughs> I was it was is it, it actually uh, almost all Italian back in those days. Oh yeah, I bet I bet. Hey Zach, are we are we are we rolling yet? Are we recording yep. at all? Okay, cool, good. Ed, man, I got to tell you, it's a pleasure having you on. I you know, I was you know, I powerlifted young when I was younger in the years, and you were a guy that I looked up to. And yeah, you had a seven seventy deadlift. Yeah, I mean, I, had a de- I was a decent deadlifter. I mean, I couldn't squat or bench worth a dance. I got monkey long arms and, you know, and that sort of stuff. I've got the, I've got the arms. I just got like oompa loompa legs. So yeah, got, well, that, that's, a perfect, that's a perfect uh, deadlift. It's kind of like, a, you remember a guy named Lamar Gant? Yeah. Yeah, he was like, he was like that. He was like that. He had these su- super long arms and he was only, he was only like 132 pounder or something like yeah, that. Yeah, uh, I was with him in Australia when he pulled 683 at 132. That, that was incredible. He actually had a, a huge scoliosis thing a uh, curve in his back yeah somebody said that was an advantage for him. i'm not convinced it was but uh well his, so, his lockout was like on his knees yeah that's pretty that's, hands that's an advantage for sure and you know just because we we have a lot of people in the world of nutrition and you know we call ourselves the human performance outliers and i think if there's anyone on the planet that's been an outlier in human performance that's you and i think not even arguably. I'd say, you know, you're the greatest powerlifter that ever worked, walked the planet. You know, I think that's pretty clear to me. And I think most people that, that know anything about powerlifting, we got Zach on the other end, who's just set the world record for running a hundred miles. So you guys are so far <laughs> on the different end of the yeah. spectrum, but it's nice to see that. But, you know, it's a pleasure having you on. And I just wanted to, uh, you know, pick your brain about some of the stuff about what it takes and, and, you know, see what you're up to lately and, and that sort of stuff. You competed, I think, if I'm not mistaken, and forgive me if I make some errors, but I know you competed in a, in a number of weight classes, I think, starting at, like, 165 and going all the way up to, I think, 242. I was a real, like, I weighed, like, 247 at a contest because it was just a heavyweight and lightweight contest for money. So I tried to see how much bloat I could get the last week. 
And you're, I think, and, and you're, I know you're, you're, you're overall total was something like 24 or something. What was it? 20, was 63. 24, 60. I mean, that, that, that number is unfathomable. For you guys that don't know anything about powerlifting, it's a squat, it's a bench, and a deadlift. And I mean, what, I know you hit over, I think you had an over a thousand pound squat and an over 900 pound deadlift. And yeah, you, I had a, a thousand nineteen pound squat. Uh, a 578 bench and a 901 deadlift, and the deadlift was at 220 before even deadlift bars or 24-hour weigh-ins. Yeah, I mean that, that. That I mean, even by today's standards, that that is phenomenal. This was this was 20 you know 20 years ago, I think, is when you were. Wasn't that about about 20 years ago? Yeah, my uh, my deadlift was in uh, 1990, actually. Holy cow! So that's yeah. a, that's that's incredible. I mean, there's I mean a 900-pound deadlift, but at that weight, I mean that's that's just amazing to do that. Um, what, you know, as you were going through this, and I know you talk about this, you know, not many people get to that level. I mean, there's very few people that break world records and, and it's, it's a, it's a unique sort of mindset. I mean, can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, you know, you, I mean, when you were competing, I mean, you really didn't have any competition. I mean, you're basically competing against yourself at, you know, no, I mean, Kowalski, you know, you had guys in different weight classes, yep. close, but I mean, in your weight class, I mean, there was. It was just like, what's, what keeps you going? I mean, so talk a little bit about it's, your mindset. It was pretty, pretty much your, uh, my, my own inner drive. I tried – I was really introverted as a kid. I was – I mean, my first year in high school, I was 4'11 and a half, 98 pounds, so I went out for wrestling because I thought I was too small for football. And then I started lifting weights with a buddy of mine in his basement. He had, actually had an old universal machine in his basement that his brothers used. And uh, I liked muscles. And then I like getting stronger. And of course, I like uh, millions of other people. I watch Pumping Iron. So I tried to be Arnold. <laughs> and then I met Arnold at a, uh, a, big, a big store, big box store. And I walked up to him and my head was in his chest. And I looked up <laughs> and I was like, shit, I can't be Arnold. So I tried to be Franco. And then Franco, you know, he was known for just his, his strength and his back. So I tried to be Franco, and then I saw Kazmaier on TV lift at one of the old nationals on Why Will the Sports when they used to have it. And I was like, well, wait a second. You could be that big, that strong, not have to diet, wear those little skimpy shorts on stage and pose. I think I got my sport now. So I tried it, and I loved it. And, you know, I, I squat benched and deadlifted twice a week. I maxed out till I got up to a 500-pound squat. And I was still barely 150 pounds. I just, I didn't care about anything. I just liked it because it was me. And as long as I knew I could get better my whole career, I just kept going. I didn't, I didn't really worry about anybody. I didn't like the heavyweights beating me. So I, I didn't worry about it. I just worried about what I knew I could do and what I could fill, fulfill on stage from what I did in training. So I didn't even care. It was just me trying to get better. I didn't worry about shit with anybody else. When you were, when you were first starting, I mean, who was influencing you and how did you figure out what the heck to do? And I mean, you know, you know, I mean, now it's, now we've got unlimited resources on this stuff, but back in those days, you know, you kind of, you might be left to some local devices, maybe some magazines. How did you? It was the magazines. It was uh, muscle and fitness and power of the USA. And then uh, a buddy of mine, Doug Furnish, who used to lift, uh, he's the one that taught me how to program a little bit better and take my time. And, uh, then I just took off from there. I just kept going. It was really a power bodybuilding style routine. I just put all these assistance exercises in there 
that I knew would help my power lifts. So my idea was I'm going to put chunks of muscle in every spot so that I have this like suit of armor that wherever you hit, you get a big clank where you, it's impenetrable. So that's the way I did it. So all my compound exercises, whether it be like a squat, a high bar, close stand squat, a pause squat, whether it be a deadlift, a deficit deadlift, a stiff leg deadlift, a bench, close grip, incline, shoulder press, heavy triceps. I cycled them the same way along with the squat, bench, and deadlift the same way. And all the other little stuff was just like for balance and uh, vanity's sake, but it, it, it worked out. That was all the other little stuff was just like dotting your eyes, crossing your T's on a college paper. And that's the way I kept going. So when I got ready for a contest or off-cycle off training, which I liked the best was off-cycle because I knew I was going to get strong and work on weaknesses, I'd have a whole routine, 12 weeks, set out for me with every single exercise, every set, every rep that I knew was doable the whole way through, and it was written out. I mean, I, I, I'd go through pads of paper figuring it out till I got the one that I knew and I was confident with, and I never missed lifts in training. I mean, that's pretty interesting because I, and that's something I found that, you know, when I try to follow programs over the years, back when I was powerlifting, I know if I got to work out and I did miss a lift, a training lift, that would really bother me. I mean, I don't know yeah. if you ever got, I mean, it would bother me for. Yeah, it was, I, I, it would definitely be like a soul searching moment. It's like, why did I miss this lift? I shouldn't have missed it. And I'd usually come to grips with it and figure out it, it wasn't a strength problem. It was because, well, maybe I didn't sleep. Maybe I didn't eat right. Maybe, maybe I just didn't uh, pick the right number. But it really wasn't a strength issue. It was like more like technique or out of the gym related. Speaking of that, Leo, when did you key into you know, the, the, the uh, importance of recovery and nutrition. I think some of us discover that later in our career, but when you're young, you just, you're just full of testosterone and you think you can yeah. do anything. And you can recover from anything and beat the crap out of yourself. So when, when did that, when did you figure out that became important? And how important was that for you as, as, as one of the best in the world? Did you more, it, it started to happen more in my thirties, in my early thirties. And I figured out that, you know, and I, I would, I would eat, whatever I wanted for breakfast and I would gauge everything miss, you know, in a bad way by um, where my body weight was. Cause I was in weight classes. I don't want to get too high, but how do I feel during the gym? I would go by a feel. I never looked at the scale that much. I would just go by a feel. How do I look in the mirror? How do I feel when I train? And then I would know if my diet was right or not. I'll tell you what I did do is every single night before I went to bed, I had a steak. And every morning I woke up, <laughs> not just because I was young, but I would have a boner and it would feel like I could bench 500 pounds with no warm up. I was so tight. That That's, was the feeling of health to me. And I, I think there's, there's, there's a lot of truth to that. And I, you know, it's kind of funny as you probably know, I, I, I sort of promote this crazy ass carnivore diet and, a lot it's of people not, tell me the it, same it, thing. It, you know? it, it's only crazy to people that don't get anything out of it. Like you said, if all your blood numbers come up right and you're, you, you feel freaking healthy and your energy levels are good and you think right, then that is perfect for you. So it's not crazy. Yeah, we I mean, all have our versions of what everyone else thinks is crazy. 
I can't go out and run a fucking hundred miles. That's crazy <laughs> no, to me. No horse you want to. Yeah, me neither. Well, I, 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 I find it interesting too. And I know, Sean, you said this in an earlier podcast where it's like, if you would just put like two little broccoli florets next to that steak, all of a sudden no one would have any problems with it. It would be just a normal meal. <laughs> but since it's just a steak by itself on a plate, people wonder, well, where's the rest? And it's a, it's, it seems like a psychological thing more than anything. If, if you add a peach and cottage cheese, it's a diet plate. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> hey, hey, Ed, what was your of, of the three lifts? The squat, bench, and deadlift. What was your favorite? Um, I I actually get asked that one, and I said, whichever one didn't hurt. <laughs> yeah, hey, I, Ed, you, I was you, pretty good. At, I was pretty good at at all of them. Right, the squat sure. Squat is obviously the scariest because we all walk stuff out back then, they, those days with without uh, the big power bars that they have now, the fifty five pound bars. Um. I was never really that scared of the bench and never, ever scared of their deadlift. The deadlift is where uh, I would actually get a, a little bit more turned on because I would walk up to the bar. I would get the dry heaves like I was going to throw up. My blood pressure would go through the roof, and I would just smile knowing I was ready. Yeah, the, you know, for me, I, you know, just because I sucked at bench and squat, I really like deadlift, and it just seems like, you know, it's, it's very primal. You just rip it off the ground. The squat, yeah, I mean – I, you know, you know, a thousand pounds on the back is, I mean, it's un, you know, imaginable for most people. I've got, I actually got, when I was training, I would do that with partials. I do lockouts with that. So I knew what it felt like. And it does not feel good. I mean, it feels like your body is going to get smushed into a little ball. And, and you talking about having that suit of armor. I mean, that, that is. Yeah, but if you take your body and smush it into a little ball, you got my body. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's true. But I mean, it's, it's just the stimulation that, um, you know, it, there's nothing like it from a, from a stimulation standpoint. I mean, people just can't fathom how metabolically and neurologically and hormonally challenging it is to stand there with, you know, seven, eight hundred, nine hundred thousand pounds on your back. There's nothing like it. I, th um, I think what it is, is you've trained like that to get to that point over so many years. So it's adaptation. Sure. So and, and the first time I tried 500 was no different than a thousand not really the same mental thing goes into it. you feel you get butterflies in your stomach you try to i mean a, a little slap or an ammonia is just to break a negative thought anyways and all my training went accordingly to get me the numbers that i had projected so i wasn't ever that worried about it it was just go down and come up yeah, Ed, some of the stuff you said, uh, I find really interesting. And I think people, you know, they'll, they hear like what I do and what guys like you and Sean do, and they, they couldn't be any further apart from one another in terms of what they're trying to achieve. But uh, I, I find myself drawing parallels with kind of the powerlifting and bodybuilding community from time to time. And one of the reasons for that is because if someone asks me like, well, what did you do in that last eight weeks leading into a race? Cause they want to know like what you did that got you that result. And I always struggle with that because it's, it, it, there's some like specific things I'll do the eight weeks leading into a race that matches that races and distance and uh, environment and things like that. But the, the truth of the matter is it's what I've been doing for the last 10 years that got the result at that race. And you know, it's exactly. the long, it's the long game when you're talking about endurance, it's about what you've done through your entire body of work. And, and one thing you said kind of ping that to me when you when Sean asked you about kind of your process you went all the way back to when you were four foot 11 sub 100 pounds so to me that means like you're thinking kind of in that same in that same uh 
type of mindset where it's like, this is a process where, you know, every day added up to be a bunch of little steps towards that end goal. Um, so I guess my question then is like, uh, what do you tell people when they ask, like if they come up to you and say like, Hey, I want to be the next Ed Cohn or I want to be the best power lifter I can be. And they're just kind of getting started. How do you explain to them that they probably shouldn't go to the gym and do exactly what you're doing, you know, 10, 20 years into a yeah. powerlifting career? I, I, my first thing is I say, take your time. What's the old thing? Rome wasn't built in a day. <laughs> take your time. Make sure you do the exercises how you're supposed to. You, every training cycle, I went back and I redid sets, reps with the basics to lay down a new foundation from what went on before. And then I built upon that. When I did that, I knew I was ready for the next phase and I knew where it would take me. So, you know, when people come up, how do you develop a positive mindset? Well, it's not, you, you can't read a study and say, oh, I'm going to read this and, and get a positive mindset to be able to do this. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. By doing it right, repetitively, gives you a positive mindset because you got something positive out of it. If you keep doing it wrong, you never develop a positive mindset because it, it has a negative connotation every time you do it. So it's a, if you take your time and do it right the whole way through, each week, each training cycle builds upon the next physically and mentally. So you never have a problem. Now you can, you can have studies out there that say, this is how you develop a positive mindset. But most of them are just being prepared. If you set yourself up and be prepared, if you did your stretches, if you did your mobility work, if your nutrition's on point, uh, everything should go accordingly. But when you do it right, then it sets up the positive mindset for the next time when you have to do it. Yeah. You know, what I call some of that within the endurance world is you want a micro stress versus macro stress. It's, you know, if someone who's just starting or has been running for less than a year tries to do something that someone is doing that's been running for 10 years, they're trying to macro stress and they're just going to beat themselves into the ground, get a negative, uh, a negative mindset because they're not able to continue doing what they sought out to do. Whereas when they start from where they're at and just micro stress week in and week out over time, that consistency and those small kind of those small stimuluses that build up and, and get you to a point where you can eventually do bigger things without having it affect your body as negatively as it would have in the beginning. You know, it's all about kind of keeping that, that, that eye on the prize, so to speak in the short term, uh, even when that long-term goal is, is a ways off. All the little things add up. It's like a giant puzzle, throw the puzzle on the ground. It's all broken up. You start putting the pieces together. You got a full picture at the end. Yeah, when I, when I was uh, competing and throwing in Highland Games and some stuff, I was training with some of these Olympic, like a guy named John Godina, who was the Olympic uh, silver medalist and shot in discus and, you know, arguably was one of the best in the world. You know, he'd won the world championship several times. And he would say, inch by inch, it's a cinch. You know, yard by yard, it's hard. So you just, you've got this daily, weekly, monthly incremental improvements. And, and that sort of uh, was interesting. And what how old were you when you retired and what was the, what was the decision that made you? I don't want to do this anymore. How did that happen? Or was that made for you? Did you make it for a you? little bit of both? Um, two, 2007 was my last contest. So, uh, 44. And, uh, that's when I started getting pain in my hip 
where I had to start leaning forward a little bit more in the squat. And uh, then I waited so many years till my hip was so bad that I had to get it replaced. My cousin, who is my orthopedic surgeon, said, they come up with so much new stuff orthopedically, wait as long as humanly possible. So I did until I was on crutches, crying every morning. And I went out and had my first one down, done in Norway, where, where my wife's from. And because uh, they were actually a little more advanced from what we could do. We were still doing metal on metal back then. And they kind of co collaborate amongst the, the rest of the European nations. So they said, no, but this is the way we're going to do it. And I trusted them fully. And it was no problem. And then the last one I had done, just about almost three years ago, um, they had a different approach to it where they cut you anterior. So they don't cut through any muscle anymore. They cut through fascia. I could run up and down stairs right now and do whatever I want with that one. It's so incredible. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was kind of made for me where I really couldn't make any more progress the way I wanted to. So it wasn't going to be fun anymore. I didn't want to end up like, you know, an old boxer that comes back and just looks pathetic on stage. I had to be happy with myself. Sure. And I wasn't. So that was it. So, I mean, are you, I mean, I know this seems like a silly question, but are you, are you a competitive person, Ed? I mean, I know it's almost obvious. You but I, mean, I, was, I was more competitive with myself. Yeah. And so it, it's, it's really a mindset. I mean, because, you know, you figure, you know, okay, I can't powerlift anymore. You know, my hips won't allow me to do that. How do you deal with that mentally? Because, you know, I mean, for me, I just, I just keep switching damn sports. I just go from sport to sport to sport because, for me, I find, yeah, I kind of max out at a certain point. And then it's no fun because you can't well, get that's, your, that's you competing against yourself in something that, like, maybe I wasn't good at this, but, man, I really like it. So I'm going to do it. That's all. It, it's you competing against you. you got to make yourself happy. Um, I love powerlifting. I'll always love powerlifting. I can't compete, but I'll always be a powerlifter. Now I just – I do enough to where I look like I'm stronger than I really am, and it appeases my own ego a little bit. That's good. You know, and, 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 and I've been fighting for some years doing a bunch of uh, JKD and counterviolence training that makes me move. And I really, really enjoy it. Yeah, I, I saw a video of that, you know, you're in there doing some, I guess, some, some uh, sparring type stuff. It looks pretty interesting there. How did you get in? How did you decide to go into that? What was the motivation uh, there? One, one of my clients, I watched him get trained at the old quads gym by the trainer I use now. And it was like watching the born identity and taken live. And I was like, this is so damn cool. I got to try this. So I walked up to him and uh, he said, here, do me a favor. Hit me. <laughs> so I tried to hit him. He just moved his head. I said, no, really try to hit me. And he went, bam, bam, bam. And smacked me right in the face. I was like, totally humbled. And I was like, I'm not nearly as tough as I thought I was. Cause you know, this guy's, you know, 185 pounds at, you know, five ten, and someone I would normally think I could kill. And then you realize a trained fighter is like, you're not tough anymore. And, but I liked the way they moved, which was so different from what a regular boxer or wrestler used to do that. I really wanted to get into it. Uh, when I was a kid, I had to go to IIT international or the, Illinois Institute of Technology at night with like horse blinders on because I had no hand-eye coordination. So I wanted to get all that stuff back. And uh, I just love it. 
Yeah, it kind of reminds me, because I, I boxed a little bit in college, and I remember I, I didn't know what I was doing. I went out to a gym and got trained, and, and they stuck me in there with a professional, uh, you know, kind of a middleweight guy. And I was, you know, I was about 230 at the time. And, I mean, you know, I'm way bigger than this guy, but, I mean, I would attempt to throw a punch, and he'd land three every time I tried to throw. know already where it was going. Yeah, and, I mean, it was just like, this is not even fun. And, I mean, and, and they hurt because he was a pro fighter and knew how to throw a punch. And I'd walk out of there with my jaw jacked up. I couldn't eat. I had headaches. I was like – Man, there's better ways to make a living than getting punched in the head for sure. But I mean, it was a, it was a very eye-opening experience, and you'd, you'd have to have a lot of respect. But it's like anything, you know, when you skill is tremendously, uh, you know, there's people that spend years doing this stuff, and whether it's powerlifting, yeah, people running. forget that they try to they try like like lifting or running or whatever. They just try to jump in right away instead of taking their time. Do you find that? The, the strength that you still have, because you're still a strong guy. I mean, I've seen you train. I mean, you still got – I mean, you're not where you were, you know, 20 years ago, but you're still yeah. way stronger than the average person, particularly for your age. Do you find that to be an impediment or a, a, a help in, in this stuff that you're doing now? A help in, a help in everything I think I do because my, uh, my bone density is so high that I can absorb a lot. My muscle, tendon, ligaments are still so strong that they hold everything together better. The only problem I have is uh, – I, I lost my mom in June and her problem her whole life. I mean, she, she, she survived colon cancer, double mastectomy, no problem whatsoever. Um, but she had osteo and rheumatoid arthritis. So she had both knees, a hip, a shoulder done. Her toes went a different way. Her hands would swell up some days, still never bitched or moaned and could still, still drive up until she was mid 80. And, uh, I've got that gene for arthritis. That's pretty much why I had to have my hips done. I have a little problem with the shoulders, but I've been doing a lot more mobility and deep tissue work that's solving a lot of problems. So it's just, you know, a, a lot of it's kind of it is pre-written. You just got to kind of, you could just put it off for a while. But a lot of what we have is going to happen regardless, but we can make, make it a lot more enjoyable process and stop it from happening sooner um, and at least give ourselves a, ch a chance. And that's what I learned more than anything. And what's your, just out of curiosity, what, what is your background? What is your sort of heritage, your cultural heritage, the name, you know, Cohen, I don't know what. I, it's actually Cohen, Irish. Cohen, okay. It's Irish. Irish. Red hair, freckles. Gotcha. Edward okay. Ignatius Cohen, a good Catholic boy from the south side of Chicago. Gotcha, okay. <laughs> if you had to go back and do your career again, is there anything you'd have done differently? I probably wouldn't have listened to a few people I shouldn't have, but everything else is exactly the same. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because, you, you know, we've seen, I'm sure you've seen uh, Ronnie Coleman's video where yeah. he talks about it. And, you know, he's, you know, he's had his hips done and now his back and he's, you know, arguably he not. He just had his neck done. He took a fall at home. He oh, just goodness. had surgery yesterday to have like C3 and C4. Fuse, uh, probably. Fuse. Yeah. Yeah, goodness. And he was still smiling. Yeah, I mean, that, I mean, you know, and, and you ask him and he says no regrets. And I mean, even though, or maybe he does, I, you know, that's what my impression is. You know, he's, he's probably, you know, would not like to be where he is now, but I don't think he regrets what he did. No, I, I don't think so. The, 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 the alternative is not being me. I can't, I can only be me. That's all I know. And that made me the happiest. So I'm fine with anything that ever happened. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, that, that's an incredibly important. And, you know, you know, for me, I've been fortunate to avoid injury and some of it was luck. Some of it was, you know, I think doing the right things over time, but uh, 
uh, you know, it's the same way. I mean, you can't deny who you are. And if, if, if you have this, I want to be the best in the world, I want to compete, you know, trying to take that out of you, you might as well just stick yeah. it in your head. I mean, it's kind of cool. And then in the same respects, do it right. What is, what, you know, I know because you're still very much in the powerlifting community and, and I know you pay attention to it quite a bit. What kind of trends have you seen lately that are, you would say are either good or bad over the years that you've um, seen? A lot of guys use way, way, way too much volume with not enough assistance exercises to make sure everything's strong. So eventually there'll be a breakdown because of overuse and weak links. And guys wearing straps in a deadlift copying the, the, the biggest names in the sport that, don't, that can use straps, it's just outrageous to me. It's like, what are you guys doing? You don't, you're deadlifting 400 pounds using straps. Come on. Yeah, I mean, I, I tend to use a hook grip, just, you know, because a double overhand hook grip because it's, yeah. I think it's bio, biomechanically more efficient if you can do it because you're longer. I mean, you're just it's longer even. that way. But yeah. it's even, too. Every, both sides are even. Yeah, so that's kind of interesting. You know, it's, uh, you know, as far as the, you know, lack of assistance exercise, I think that's interesting. There was, there was a, there's some people that say, you know, to get good at deadlift, you deadlift, you know, and, and that's, and that's the kind of thing that you find. In that, one respect, but if you're, upper or lower back or mid back gets really weak you're gonna get good up to a certain point and you'll always fail there and then your squat will go to shit too because of it and you won't have enough supporting back muscles to have a proper bench so uh, i used to say i've never met a strong man with a weak back that's true yeah yeah i think and, 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 so, yeah to have everything strong is very very important to last a long time that Oh, and, and I just want to follow up on that real quick because I think it's really interesting like when you get into those really fine points of training where you're you know maybe lifting more than you ever have or in your case more than anyone has ever ever done uh like what is it what do you look for when you say you're in training and you do fail on a lift or you notice that there's a weakness how do you identify exactly where that weakness is when you're doing like a, a core movement, like a deadlift? And then what do you kind of do to try to catch that, that part of the body up? Well, nowadays everyone videotapes, so they look at it. But back in the day it was just by feel, where did I fail? What did I feel loosen up or get weak? Then I'd say, what exercises help that area? And I would attack the shit out of them in the off season. That's simple. Interesting. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it, sometimes I think we overcomplicate stuff even at the, at the top end of stuff. And a lot of times the, the basics and some common sense go a long ways. <laughs> hey, well, a lot of, a lot of studies are done based on an idea from somebody else. So if I said I have a weakness and I fail here, we could do a study on what exercises would correct that. And it would be a study. So we do studies on ourselves all the time in the gym. They just weren't written down. Now for a word from our sponsors. This episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast is brought to you by Unamate by a brand named Unicity. This sponsor is unique. It has a personal story behind it. In 2015, I started using the tea Yerba Mate. I liked it for its calm sense of alertness that it provided versus kind of the more jittery alertness that you could get from uh, more traditional caffeine sources. I even used it 
in 2015 at the end of the year in route to breaking the 100 mile American record at the Desert Solstice Track Invitational. The only hiccup that I have had with using Yerba Mate in training and racing has kind of been a logistical hiccup. It, I usually had to either kind of pre-make the Yerba Mate as like a hot tea or buy it in a can, which a lot of times the cans you would find had been sweetened with sugar and other things. Uh, so I was always kind of on the lookout of trying to maybe make that process a little more efficient. So after interviewing Dr. Ben Bickman for episode 13 of HPO, he had discovered that I was a fan of Yerba Mate in training and races. And uh, he's actually been studying some of the effects of Yerba Mate and connected me with a product called Unamate, which makes kind of an instant single serving package of the tea. With, with these single serving packs, I, I can easily kind of prepare on the fly, even during a race or during a training run, without having to go through all the kind of logistic steps of preparing the tea ahead of time or bringing a can full of something along with me. And I actually even used it at the Tunnel Hill 100 mile this last fall where I ran the, the fastest recorded 100 mile or on a trail as well as the fastest 100 mile or outright during the year for 2018. Um, so needless to say, I'm behind the product. If you'd like to try it out, please head over to unicity.com forward slash HPO that's U-N-I-C-I-T-Y dot com forward slash H-P-O to get $3 off a 7-pack or $10 off a 30-pack of Unamate. Thanks again. Now, back to the show. Hey, Ed, what, I mean, you know, totaling 2463 at 242, uh, you know, obviously just a monster total. What do you think you could have told? I mean, do you, do you, are you satisfied with that? Or do you think you could have hit 2,500? I probably could have got up to at 242, uh, around a 1040 squat. I was ready to bench 600 when I blew my knee out. And uh, if, if I had the deadlift bars they do now, I would, have, I would have definitely hit a lot, lot more. But, you know, it... I didn't have a grip issue either because I've got these freaking monster hands. I could do a three pound, uh, a three finger palm and a basketball still, but it would it would have definitely been a lot more. And then you add in where you know a lot of times they use a monolift now, or they have twenty four hour weigh ins that we didn't have way back then. Um, then you're talking a lot more weight. But yes. I, I don't really look at it. I know, so I don't have to. I don't have to say it. Everyone else knows too. Yeah, so I mean, you're you're happy with your, you know, like for me, I was just like, you know, when I pulled, it was seven, you know, 350 kilos or, you know, like 771 and three, 771.8 or whatever the hell it is. And and I, uh, you know, I was sitting there and then I had to go do my orthopedic residency where I had to work 120 hours a week. So I was like, man, if I could have just given another year or two, I might have got, you know, hit that. You could have got to your 804. Would have been a nice, a nice thing, but you can't, you can't go back to that. So it's kind of like, no, but you got to be satisfied. Put put someone else in those circumstances, and could they do 350 kilos? Probably not. Yeah, so yeah. I mean, you were stronger mentally in another way. It's like this is my goal. I'm I'm going to get it against all odds or what anyone tells me I can do, because I'm me. What do you do, Ed? Just outside of lifting, what else do you do for fun? What other kind of things make Ed Cohen happy? I do I I do some fight stuff, and I. I 
I'm, I'm lucky where I could run a bunch of workshops all over the world. So like the, the last, one of the last ones I just did, I was in uh, uh, Zurich, Switzerland with Stan Efferty. In March, in March, besides the, uh, the U.S. stuff, I'll do something at the Arnold Classic Australia. And then in April, I'll go to three uh, military, U.S. military bases in Japan. And then I'll have more stuff set up after that. So I'm lucky where I, you know, people are like, oh, wow, that must be hard sometimes. It's like, well, wait a second. People are paying you to go to a place for free to hang out with people and tell them how did you do everything in the gym anyways. And they all love you already before even knowing that you're a big dick. That's pretty good. It's not that hard. <laughs> it's not a bad situation. That's no, because you love it. It's easy. And you, get the, you, you really get to help people, which when you see that part, you see someone smile, it makes it really cool. Who should powerlift, Ed? Pardon? Who should powerlift? Uh, everybody. Yeah. Well, everyone should do the powerlifting exercises. Not everyone should powerlift because not everyone would enjoy the competition nature of it. But like the, the first time I went to Australia a bunch of years back, they had one day just for the women at this meet. It's like a hundred women and a lot of them are just going to hang out with all the other women, but they like how the exercises make their, their butts and their backs and their legs look and feel. And then it's fun for them. So it, it, com, com, competition, it's always, you know, like I said, more competition with yourself. If you go there and your only idea is to beat this guy or to have that record, you're not really going to last that long because it's not that fulfilling. You know, a point you made about, you know, how important it is to, you know, you know, basically build your armor, you know, put your muscle on to protect your joints and all that stuff for function. I mean, that, that, that clearly is important. What a lot of people don't know is that it's very important for longevity and health, too. I mean, there's a number of studies that show that. Well, the, 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 the number one thing that's the, one of the worst things for your body is stress, especially when you get older. And if you can have a good sound structure physically, it takes a lot of stress off anything else that will happen. And then you throw in your diet. Holy crap. I mean, my, my dad's diet, because my dad has a, a congestive heart failure, and he's a type 2 diabetic. But we got him to lose enough weight where he doesn't need any insulin anymore. Now, his mom was a full-blown diabetic with, as a double amputee when I was a kid. Hmm. So, yeah. So, and so you, you see, and, that, and, and a lot of that would have been avoided from diet. But, you know, my dad's 87 now to trying to get him to eat. I got to make sure he gets enough calories in and then try to get him to eat meat. And, and then he feels better, but then they still go back to the old thing. So it's, you, you, it's kind of rough, but you don't, we didn't know it then what we know now. The, I mean, we'd have so many people living into their hundreds now. It's unbelievable if they just took care of themselves uh, physically and uh and with exercise and diet and so many things would be so much more avoidable yeah i mean i agree 100 percent. and let me ask you because you talked about you know this internal motivation and drive to you know you know just be better than you were yesterday you know every single day i want to be better surely you know through the years you would have had a somebody in the competition that you that you would look at maybe it's you know Kirk Kowalski and say I got to squat more than this dude I mean did you find having people that were at least pushing you rivals was important um well 
Kirk was usually a couple weight classes higher. Right, I know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I would still try to outlift him. I could always get him in the bench and kill him in the deadlift. And then we were neck and neck in the squats. And quite a few times when he was at 275 at his best, um, he would definitely, he would put one on me. But the good part is he used my routine to get there. <laughs> <laughs> you guys had kind of a friendly rivalry. You know, I asked, yeah, yeah, I, asked, I would. I didn't, I didn't like the heavyweights when they out-totaled me. Because if, as long as I knew I had more in me, well, I didn't, I didn't win against myself then. I might win a trophy or get a record. I don't really give a crap. I was going against me at all times. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, you know, I can't imagine you know, how many trophies you must have accumulated over the years. As well. A lot of the, like the old-school trophies, like the three-tier ones and stuff, I just donated to Special Olympics. All the other ones – are I think uh, in my sister's basement, and some of them are paperweights for you know the little cool ones for my other sisters. So yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean it's you know you you know you know what you did. You know you're the only one that that, that ultimately you know it's kind of funny because you could do these things and you know you ask about well a lot of the people when we do this no one no one really cares about ourselves. You know it's just kind of you're, yeah. you're you're doing why it. why are you doing it? Why did you start it? it you, you have to have the right reason to be able to be good enough. The, the people that have that ego or have, or have this, this, this stupid way of thinking it where um, if I'm not the best, I'm not going to do it. They never reach it. They'll never reach it. I can always be the best against me. That's all that mattered. What was, uh, you know, back in the day when you were really going hard, and I, I know I used to see pictures of you, you know, with the quads, gym shirt on and training there. How much was the environment, or was it was it was it an internal environment in your brain, or did did the external uh, environment really was that really important to you? Well, you do have your own little internal thing, but the external people that I surrounded surrounded myself with had an effect on a, a different part of the internal that you you can't get by yourself. So you feel all this positive energy and, and, and guys helping you, and everybody's on the same page. My training partners at the time knew how to coach me for lifts. And I knew how to coach them. So everybody got better and everyone was for each other. Nowadays, you see, I mean, a lot of guys train by themselves, which I think it's, it, it, it does strong show a big strength mentally for them because a lot of them are world champions. Like you, you just look at like Blaine Sumner squatting 1,100 pounds in the gym by himself and shit like that. But at the same time, if they had a little extra motivation and positive people around them and feel safer going down with a squat or a bench or whatever, um, they would be even better. Yeah, I mean, certainly from a safety standpoint, having those, you know, when you're, when you're handling those big weights, obviously having this stuff there. And I find for me, because I, I end up training a lot by myself and, and I just, I, I find it's, I've got to be able to do it myself internally. But whenever I get the opportunity to go to like when I go see Mark Bell and I go up to super training and train, I'm going to have a damn good workout. It doesn't yeah. matter what's going on. You know, I, I, just because that's like, that's like a, that's like a bonus for me. It's like, Oh yeah, man, start, now I can really level it up. Feeling, you start feeling other people's energy come through you and you just walk in smiling, knowing, Oh my gosh, this is going to be great. That's the best feeling in the world. What was your favorite? Maybe you, maybe you've got many of them. What would say some of your favorite sort of, meat lifts were and experiences, you know, as far as, you know, what, what did you really do? Was there something meat that you lifts really is, is what I did when I did pull uh, 901 at 220, 
Um, squat when I finally squatted over a thousand. Um, bench is when I was at the, a real light 198 pounder in 1985, and I benched uh, 501 raw in a meet. That was pretty cool. That is, those are, those are, again, those are just amazingly incredible numbers. Um, what was your, you know, how much did you eat, Ed? I mean, I mean, cause you went through all these different weight classes. I mean, I mean, how much were you eating every day? I mean, just to, no, like when you, I, I never, I never, I never counted. I just went how I feel, how I looked. I never really got fat. Um, and I just let my body grow, you know, up until a certain point when it was like, well, no, I don't really want to drop this much weight. I'm getting too lean. I'm going to get hurt for handling this, this amount of weight. So then up oh, another weight class, fill it out and get stronger. Ed, you kind of answered a, my question a little bit, but I was going to ask you this because one time, one thing I, I get asked a lot is people, well, people will more or less assume like when they hear the amount of training I do is they'll right away think, well, you can get away with eating so much or eating so many different things when you're working out that hard. And I always find that funny because it's usually when I'm working out the hardest and the longest that I'm the most precise about my diet. And part of that's just because then you've tightened up the recovery window a little bit and you, everything else has to kind of be in order in order for all that hard work to pay off. Is that kind of how it was with you too? Like when you're getting really close to a meet and you're trying to balance a specific weight while still trying to add strength, uh, is did you have things more specific then uh, than maybe you would on the off season? Oh, um, most definitely because I had to watch a weight class, but I still wanted to have the same feeling of not being on a diet. Mm -hmm. So it was upping my protein and lowering all this bad sugary shit out of the diet. Then it was easy. Yeah. It was, it, to me, it was always something that was really simple. It was like, just do this. The hardest part is telling yourself, no, I don't want to be good. No, you, you're in it to be good. So, wow, I don't get to eat fucking Cocoa Krispies right now. <laughs> you know, it's pretty easy. Have, have a steak. Have, have a, a chicken thigh. Have, a, have some fish. But eat something that's going to help your body. Yeah, you know, it is funny how, like, Sometimes you'll see people are willing to do all the really hard things. And then when it comes down to the easiest of them all, which is like, what are you going to put in your mouth? And that's where they mess it all up. And it's like, that should be the part that's the easiest because it doesn't take any energy really to decide to put the right thing in your mouth versus the wrong thing. No, especially uh, you don't have to eat bland food. People think a diet and it's like, oh shit. It's not, it's not even, it's just eliminate a few things add a fucking, a, a couple other good things. And it's really easy. There's plenty of seasonings. Freaking salt alone is great. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's not that, it's not that hard, but the diet industry isn't going to tell you that because they don't, that then they don't make money. Just like big pharma isn't going to tell you to watch your diet and exercise to avoid these diseases and other bad things that can happen to you. Well, one of the one of the things we see now is they just normalize those diseases. You know, if you I, I don't watch TV any, you know, I haven't watched TV in years, but every time I turn it on now and I go somewhere, it's like drug ad after drug ad. It's like you know yeah. everything's normal. You know, every, every it's normal to have psoriasis. It's normal to have rheumatoid arthritis. It's normal to have, 
irritable bowel syndrome or gastroesophageal reflux. Yeah. I mean, this is all normal. Just take this drug. And then they list the drug, the uh, side effects, the yeah. complications <laughs> afterwards. And it's yeah. like, a, it's like the, the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls. Yeah. Die and get cancer and your teeth may fall yeah. out or something crazy. And then there's a drug to fix that. So you can still take the original Ex- drug. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> and talk to me about your these days, because you're in your mid fifties now, uh, yeah. just years ahead of me. What are you doing uh, training wise in the gym? I mean, are you, what, what, what I, I, I do almost do? the same thing. I just don't go as heavy. I can't on a little exercise. I can push a lot of reps. On the big compound exercises, if I push the reps too hard, I don't recover as easy. So I don't. I got a mirror in front of me. This is how I want to look. This is how I want to feel. I want to be able to train and enjoy it without pain. So as long as I can do that, I will do it. And I, like I said, I'll make up my own study by myself on my own body on what I'm capable of. If it's not doable, I won't like it and I won't do it forever. It's like I said, it's to me, it's always been pretty simple. I can do this. I can't do this. If I want to get this better, I got to do these exercises or get treated this way. Boom. Done. When I, I think I fought, you know, when I was following you years and years ago, I remember you, and I don't know if you, you'd always have had this philosophy, but I know I read an article and you always talked about training where, you know, you kind of leave one or two in the tank, you know, when you're training, you know, you would, you wouldn't just like, Get, go to every last rep to fail. You'd like, I could probably done another another rep or two on the you know on my training. Is that is that a philosophy you, you've maintained throughout your career? Still, well, what you just said, where you leave a couple in the tank and you don't go to what word was that failure? So when you go to failure, you have nothing left, but you push your body up to a point where you did a set where you put a hundred percent intensity into the set that you had nothing left. Now, a set of 10 all out where you can't get any more has the same stimulus on your central nervous system that a heavy-ass single did where you max out. Where do you go the next meet, the next week? What do you got left? You're, you're burnt out already. So every week builds upon the next week all the time. Yeah, and I think that's mentally, you know, you, you know that, you know, I got a little bit more in me. And I, and this is the one thing that, you know, some people talk about giving a hundred percent. And I say, you know, physically, if you've ever given a hundred percent, it's kind of depressing because then you got nowhere to go. You're right. You're just like, okay, I'm done. That's as good as I can be. When you, if, if you, if you gave like a, a rah-rah speech to a, a football team, you could talk to them and you could say, when you were done with that first quarter, do you 100% feel that you gave every single thing you could and you couldn't have worked harder? The answer will be no. Every single time. Human performance. A lot of times we don't turn over every single stone. We don't go as far as we can. We always know we got some left because our mindset set stops us from doing that. You could, now, if I said that to Ray Lewis... Ray Lewis's mindset, he knows right away every single quarter, every single second of the game, he gave everything he had. That's what you want. So if I know on this set I gave everything I have and I made it easy, where's my mindset already after that set or after that session for the next week? You're ready. 
you're, you're going into the gym smiling saying, I got this. And that's how it was every week. I walked into the gym knowing I got this. And my numbers were set up perfectly. So I recovered. And then the next week, and then the next week, and it kept going. And I always knew I had it. Now do that, like I said, do that like four or five training cycles a year and do that for five years. Where are you from where you started? Yeah, you're a hell of a way longer. Let's talk about recovery, Ed, because, uh, you know, you, you, you need, a lot of people, you know, we, we understand the value of that. What, did you have any kind of recovery tricks or techniques? I hate to use the word tricks because I think for most of this, it's just hard work. It's just consistency. But were there things that you did even back then uh, or would you, you would recommend now, you know, for recovery? I know there's a lot yeah, of different well, things out there. A lot, of the, a lot of the recovery back then was set up because of what I just said, how I always had more left in the tank, where I had a long-term goal, which was three or four months down the line to do this at a contest or to get this stronger. So I always had my eye on the prize for the long-term goal. So I never, never burnt out in between. Um, what I did do is... Like I think having a steak every night before I went to bed helped me immensely. I used to stretch and I had a chiropractor uh, down the street from me, a friend of mine, who I went to see him four or five days a week. And he started learning more working off my body where we'd start from my feet and work all the way up and find little kinks and set them straight. So every time I walked in the gym biomechanically, my body was set and ready to go at a peak performance right there. That was my recovery. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, I think that, like I said, leaving the one in the tank, you know, you, you it helps. It helps that certainly. Um, it's kind of interesting. I, I know you said you talk with Stan, you know, Stan everything. And, and for people who don't know, Stan, Stan is known as the world's strongest bodybuilder. And, you know, I think his total was 23 or something like that. Yeah, 23 he, something, yeah. Something raw. So something really huge. And Stan's a big guy. And he's, you know, like myself and, and, and you apparently, you know, is, is, is a proponent of having red meat in the diet or a steak in the diet. Do you, do yeah. Mean, yeah, when we went over to Switzerland, we had a, a two-bedroom condo next to the gym. And they had it filled with ribeyes, egg, uh, cheese, yogurt, and everything according to what Stan liked. And they had an indoor barbecue grill. <laughs> they just shut the door and you open up a gigantic window that overlooks the whole city of Zurich. And all we did was cook steak and eat everything that was good for us four to five times a day there. And it was perfect. What do you think about, you know, <laughs> As of lately, there has been a huge move to say, we don't want to eat that anymore, and it's bad for us. I mean, what are your thoughts on, on that sort of, sort of thing where we're, we're being directed to eat, you know, lentils and, you know, not a eat this A lot of stuff? us are, have been sheep for way too long, um, where they still expect us not to be able to think for ourselves. Like I said, look in the mirror. How do you feel? How's your blood work? How's your blood pressure? Do you poop okay? Do you move okay? How do you sleep? If all those are pretty good, you're doing the right thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with you on that, Ed. And there's a lot of controversy. There's people that, that, that seem to, I, I don't know. It's like, like it's like a mass hypnotism where they're trying to say that, no, you really don't feel good. It's really bad for you. And uh, 
Well, we we were we were uh, read this book of bullshit from the very beginning when the, when our government changed the food pyramid, and we've been fed this pack of lies. With I mean, the amount of supplements people have to take. I mean, even bodybuilders when 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 Weiner was selling like you know tens of millions of dollars of supplements a year, all the bodybuilders all of a sudden decided. I, I try to get as much as humanly possible from my nutrition and you don't see the supplements selling as well anymore. More people buy pro workouts or pre-workout stuff <laughs> than they do anything else where, you know, for the pre-workout stuff, as much as it costs, you could buy a fucking dozen steaks or really good ground up burgers and get more out of it. And they don't want to do that because they want to think, you're, you're fed a pack of lies thinking that this is better and it's more optimum for your body. When is Stan has a good line. There's nothing ever that someone will be able to do to or for you that will be better than what you can do to or for yourself. So just think, and like I said, look in the mirror and say to yourself, how do I feel? That's what I do. That's what I do. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not so set in my eating schedule. I have to eat this, 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 and this at this time. I pre-make a lot of my steaks. I mean, I've got three gigantic strip steaks in the fridge right now. Getting ready, I'm going to cook. And then I go from there. I, 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 don't like, I don't like salmon. It just fucking tastes nasty to me. <laughs> but I will throw in uh, some other fish, shrimp. I will throw in. Uh, I do have some white rice. Um, I never had a huge appetite. So I use a little bit of stuff with fillers. I can still drink milk. I can still eat yogurt. I'm not lactose intolerant. So I still will do what I can do and still look in the mirror and feel good. Yeah. You know, and the interesting thing is what you just said doesn't necessarily cost someone any more money. It's just about rearranging their grocery list or, you know, focusing on that rather than the supplement or rather than, you know, whatever medication they're going to need to get on if they keep eating unhealthy. And, uh, you know, part of that has to be the problem too, is the fact that uh, there's not good profit margins and people taking care of themselves and people just choosing the right grocery list items, as opposed to having to, you know, do all the stuff we talked about earlier with prescriptions and, adding all kinds of supplements and things to their, to their regimen. Yeah. Like that, like the doc said in, in one of his uh, uh, Instagram posts about that lady that came out and said that all these studies have been influenced by big pharma and all this other stuff that how can you trust the studies anymore? You don't. That's why you start trusting yourself. Say, you know what? I don't want to eat processed food. I'm going to knock out a, a lot of these sugars. How are you going to feel? Oh my God, phenomenal. You just solved 80% of your problems already. And that's mm -hmm. just thinking for yourself. Yeah. And you know, I like what you said too. It's like when you really do a self analysis of asking how you feel, how you perform, how you're sleeping, are you happy? Are your energy levels good? You know, those are excellent metrics for most people to focus on barring like extreme scenarios. And uh, it's something that anyone can do and anyone can learn to do if they actually you know, start to tune into themselves. Um, and it's, it, it really is something I hope that that message gets kind of pushed out and continue to be pushed out. Uh, because I mean, that's, that's some of the biggest problems I see with a lot of these studies that you're talking about too. I mean, a lot of them tend to be ones that 
focus in on one thing, say nutrition, and ignore all the other healthy things that are being done alongside that. Uh, and it's just, you know, you have to look at something holistically, I think, in order to really get an idea of what is going or what the person is doing right. And uh, you can't really demonize any one side of things when you're, when you're looking at things from a, from a whole process. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's really interesting stuff though. And it's, it's, it's good to have guys like you come on the show Ed, and, and talk about kind of what you do and how you kind of uh, have, have just worked through that whole process throughout the course of your career and, and into uh, I guess post career. Yeah. I, I was one of those guys that could eat whatever I wanted before, but I look at the amount of uh, Pepsi that I went through and uh, the, the acid reflux in the waking up in the middle of the night with acid reflux, feeling like I was choking, having a, uh, an anxiety attack at the same time. And uh, all of a sudden, I got away from all that shit. And, oh, my God, I feel better. I sleep better. I move better. People say, well, how do you get up in the morning? I can actually jump out of bed, no problem. Like, actually jump out of bed and have no problem. It's like, you know, who else could do that at 55 with, with all the, uh, everything I've gone through? You can't. The, 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 the answer is, what did I do for myself to make that possible, to give myself a chance? Change your diet around and move a little bit more. Easy. I think Jim Wendler always said, move more, eat less shit. There you go. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty, uh, I mean, that's, you know, it's kind of funny because we've got, you know, a bunch of meatheads like, you know, us and, you know, I, I actually take that Turk being called a meathead. I don't mind that at all. I like but I mean, I, I think it's, you know, some of the most common sense, basic advice out there. Let me ask one other question, Ed, if you don't mind. I, I want to be respectful of your time. But what do you think, you know, having been around for a long time and, and, and hung out with some of the strongest, freakiest, you know, human beings on the planet. What do you think the limits are with regard to powerlifting? Do you think we've, we've, we've got there? Do you think, you know, guys from 30 years ago were just as strong as they are today and it's just, you know, differences in equipment? Do you think human beings have maxed out where they can go as powerlifting? Where do you think the numbers, think, where do you think I the think, ultimate deadlift squat and bench could ever be? I think, I don't think we've evolved so far where all of a sudden we, we're so much stronger. I think guys back then were just as strong the mindset changed. So as soon as someone did that, as soon as someone ran the four minute mile, they knew it could be done. Now everyone's mindset changed. Now that it can't be done. Well, I see no reason why I can't do it, but those people, they're still going to be the freaks for the masses. It's remained basically the same. Um, a little bit better. Some training ideas that a lot of people came up with. Uh, Mike Trichier is fantastic. He's, got an unbelievable uh, analytical mind. And then you have all the other diet guys. And it's not diet, lifestyle guys, I should say. Because they're actually, if, 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 someone, if someone teaches you, you can eat simple, it'll be better for you. You won't have as many health problems. You'll feel better. You'll look better. You'll perform better. You'll sleep better. Everything is going to be more enjoyable. Um, then you're going to progress. That's the advantage we have is just a little bit more uh, info than what we had that you still have the same injuries. You still have just as good as physiques. Um, so I, I don't think there's, I think the, the human limit is only going to be by a few freaks that come out of here and there. 
And those are the freaks that unleash something in their mind and say, he did it. Why can't I? And that's, that, that's what I've done by that my whole career is like, well, this guy did it. Why can't I? I'm just going to try to get better and keep going. Do you think so we'll I never see, set numbers. I just try to get better. Do you think we'll see a 3,000 uh, 3, pound total? Uh, not raw. Not yeah. raw. We've seen it with multiply, but in the sing, a lot of the single ply stuff is just as good as the multiply now. So, I mean, Blaine Sumner squatting over 1,100 like that, but Ray Williams might squat 1,100 with just knee sleeves on, walked out. So, I mean, he's obviously a monster, an exception. So those are the exceptions. You're always going to have a freak in the crowd. Yeah, no, it's kind of a, it's kind of, a, it's kind of a, just amazing to think about that because you know we look at things like the hundred meter dash and you know until Usain Bolt came along, you know it was like you know nine eight, you know, and then he blows that away by you know a ton, you know. Like and a, he's and he's the and he's the freak, but look, if you look at him, he's not built like everyone else. Right. So he's got an advantage in that, but then his mindset is, well, nine eight ain't nothing. I'm going to beat that, no problem. Then everyone else, even the little guys who aren't built like that, are said, well, he did this. Why can't I get better? So they get better. Yeah, I think it's important to, you know, absolutely know in your mind that you can do something. You know, don't, if you set this number and say it's impossible, then you'll never do it. And you have to, you have to believe more than anything that it can be done. And but it, and it has to be doable. Approach it. it has to be doable. It's a step-by-step thing. If you had the time, you would have been able to deadlift 804, no doubt. But it didn't happen. But you set with the time you have, you maximized your potential and pulled 770, <laughs> putting 120 hours in and studying and not always great nutrition because your mind wanted it. Yeah, I think, I think the mind, I mean, you know – all you know obviously there are people that are genetically gifted there are people that'll work hard physically but i mean how much would you say the mind plays a role in achieving these goals it's huge i mean i have godzilla like arms so i wasn't supposed to be able to bench that much i still benched 565 raw before no problem because i didn't accept that there was a limit on me i just knew i could get better and i'm going to like i said Dot my eyes, crawl the teeth, cross my T's. I'm going to push over walls. I'm going to roll over stones to try to find a way that I can get better. I never accepted it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. We had, uh, I don't know if you know, if you're familiar with that, Professor Tim Noakes. Uh, he's, he's a world-renowned sports scientist. He came up with something called the central governor theory of, uh, you know, athletics or whatever. And it's basically your mind it's not your body that can't go more. It's your mind. And I think we as human beings, as much as and as freaky as we've done, could probably go a lot more if our, if our brain wasn't holding us back. And, it, you know, it sure. could be that we, you know, we could, we could do 25% more than we think we can do now. Yeah. What, 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 what did I say when, when if you give a speech to football players or other athletes and you say, did you, in the course of this game, give 100% now look back at it now. Could you have gone harder? And I guarantee uh, 99% of them will say, I could have gone harder. So once you identify that and they think it, it unleashes something where I know I can go harder now. I didn't give it my all.
same with any sport or any activity. Same with uh, studying. Same thing. I could have done more. I could have done better. Did I yeah. set myself up to do better? You can't just walk in the gym or walk up to your study group or whatever and just jump in and go. Did I set myself up? Do I get enough sleep? Did I treat myself well as far as physically? Did I eat enough? And I eat accordingly so I can think properly or so I can perform properly in any way. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, you know, like with Zach, you know, he just set the, the 100 world, the hundred mile trail run world record 1208. I'm sure that Zach would say, I could have done 1207. I mean, I'd, I'd have no doubt if I asked sure. that. Now, now let me ask I'd that. say 1155, but okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So after you did that 1208, did you say to yourself, uh, I'm tapped, I quit? No, you know, immediately you I know you can get better. Right. You, you, you think of the, the places where the improvements could be made and you start adding those up and come up with a game plan as to how you can minimize those in the future and, and kind of improve on that. And, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting because especially with a hundred miles, I think like there, there's probably no scenario in which everything goes perfect over that length of time. But uh, you can try to minimize the things that go wrong as much as possible and learn how to respond to things that do go wrong in a way that's not going to have them spiral out of control and then just try to whittle that down as much as possible. And you know, that's the fun part of Called kind of strategy. This, this, yeah, exactly. It's like it's the chess match part of the whole thing. And you can carry that over into training. And that's the part that's even more fun to me is like, okay, now I have this, say, three to four months that I'm going to try to specify for another event and here's what went well here's what didn't and all these previous exposures now what are we going to do to kind of take it to the next level or, or find a new place in terms of what's possible for for yourself personally yeah and, and that is applied to every single thing we could do in our life just not sports it, it's just not only uh limited to sports yeah. You know, it's like one thing is for sure. If you put a limit on yourself, you, you will, that will be your limit. That will yeah, be. You're already done. Mm -hmm. Hey, Ed, did, did you, did fear ever, was there any, were you, were there anything, any moments where there were fear? Like when you first set up, set up to, to squat a thousand pounds, did you, was there ever, ever any fear in the back of your mind or were you just completely, I'm going to do this no matter what, there's nothing I'm worried more, about. More apprehension. I think um, as long as I, Every single set and rep I ever did on all these exercises, I did exactly the same, whether it was an empty bar or a thousand pounds on my back. So I always had how I got up under the bar, how I grabbed it, how I wiggled under it, how I took my steps was always the same. So that was a non-issue. So all it was was just going down and coming up. As long as I knew where I was position-wise on the way down and on the way up, I knew I'd get it. Is it, if you feel yourself lurch forward or fall to one side, if you can correct it immediately and notice it, then you have a better chance of making a lift. If you don't, if you don't perfect practice every time and, and do your studying with your body and mind, you're already messed up. You don't have a chance. If there's a doubt in your head, your body doesn't respond to that doubt. Your body, your body makes, your mind makes every single thing happen. So if my mind is good, It'll make my body do everything perfect. You know, when we, you know, when we sort of get ready to do these things and powerlifting is very different from running a hundred miles. And so you have, uh, you know, there's some visuals. Were there any things you would, any mental sort of 
uh, sort of uh, practices you had or any visualizations that occurred or any, any thoughts again went in your mind when you... Yeah, when you I don't know what they call stuff. it with, with the visualization, but when I visualize stuff, I can actually feel it. I can feel the weight. I know exactly how it's supposed to feel. Every set of the weight, just by closing my eyes and, and, and thinking about it. So I was more... Um, I don't know how you, how, how, how you can get that or how to teach it except by doing it and taking your time. And that's what I teach from my training partners is, is how to get that. If you can get that feel, then mentally your brain kicks into something positive right away and it's ready to go to put you in that position where boom, I can squat, bench or deadlift or do whatever or, or whatever you want. So right then positive something out of it your brain will always want to go back to doing something positive, not negative. It's going to run away from negative shit. So if you can put a positive, uh, a positive reinforcement type thing in your head already before even walking up to the bar, you already are almost already did it. Yeah. Ed, how often would you say like when you were kind of in the thick of it, are you doing just like mental reps of visualizing yourself literally kind of pulling a record off the ground or a PR off the ground you know, versus going into the gym and, and actually trying to work towards that from the physical side of things. 24 <laughs> seven. I thought that's might be what you'd say. <laughs> you know, and, and, you know so, someone asked me on one of my posts on Instagram yesterday, they made a comment. They said something about, uh, uh, how did you approach it when you got out of your beginner stage? And my answer was I never got out of my beginner stage because I knew I could always learn. Once you think you're the best and think you can't learn, you're done. Yeah, I, know, I think that, that, that's simple. That's that's so important. I mean, we're always learning, you know. And and you know, this is the one thing, and I've said this about a lot of things. The only thing that I am a hundred percent certain of is that I'm wrong about something, you know. And yeah. I think that's the only. Thing, you know, we have to be, we have to be that way and just say, look, we can always learn more. We learn from other people. We, learn from stuff every single day of our existence if we're not what are we doing we're wasting our time yeah um there's fucking it takes poliquin told me i said well how did you learn so much he goes i read he goes to read a little study or an article takes 10 freaking minutes he goes just do that a few times a day and look where we are at the end of the week he goes it all adds up <laughs> dr eric serrano Every time he goes to the bathroom, he stays in there longer and reads some new study. <laughs> Bam, it's done. But cumulatively, everything in our life is done cumulatively, not in just like one little thing over one day. It's a cumulative thing that all of a sudden, where are you after a month, after two months, after three months, after five years? Holy shit. Yeah, you, you're, you, you got everything going for you right then. Cause you're making an effort to learn, to grow. And what's, what's next for you? Uh, you know, what, what do you, how, where, how do you foresee the next 10 years? You, I mean, I mean, sounds like your life's pretty good. You're enjoying it. It's just more of the same. Or, or do you think, you know, either athletically, physically, career wise, where, where do you see yourself going? Athletically and physically the same, maybe a little less pain in my shoulders. And, um, and then as far as, uh, I'll probably come out with another book and courses and stuff. And everyone always wants me to do online stuff. But for me, online stuff is, is really hard because the amount of effort I put into it, I, it's hard for me to make up just like a cookie cutter routine that some people do. 
there's a lot of effort and time that has to be put into each people, each person. So I, I might get into something like that if I, I if I can come up with a a good enough type of program where I can make it a little bit more interactive, and maybe a web webinars or something like that. Because you can you know, have fucking five thousand people on, on a webinar, and business wise, if if you sell it at just you know five dollars each, look what you made, and that's yeah. very possible because people spend more money on pre-workout <laughs> and bullshit drinks than they will to actually get something to help them. Look, every, every post you put up, uh, I read on Instagram. Everything Stan puts up, I usually read. I've got a really good phone book and, and, uh, that I can call people and learn from. It takes two fucking minutes. Take the time to learn something. You know, look, look at all the diet guys out there. Look at the, you and and BioLane and Mike Isratel and and uh, John Meadows with you know a lot more really common sense extreme bodybuilding stuff and how to manipulate this and this and do this and this and this. You got so many people to choose from, depending on where you want to take your athletic career or just life in general. And mine has always be has always been okay. You you've got shit, then you got a little bit better. Then you got a little bit better. Then you got good. Then you got best. Best is for really, really good athletes or people trying to optimize something for, 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 a, different, for a different reason. I try to stay at the really high end of better because it's doable for me for long term. And I feel good. I look good. Will I cheat here and there? Of course, I'm human. Will I regret after I cheat two hours later when I had that big pain in my lower intestine where I just want to shit my brains out? Yes. That instant gratification in your mouth doesn't really pay off sometimes afterwards. But uh, so I try to stay on the high end of better, and I'm, and I'm doing pretty good at that. I feel much better about myself. I don't cheat as often. I'll have a little bit of this or a little bit of that sometimes. You know, once in a while, if I have a Diet Coke, it's like crack. It's like, oh, no, I, now I know why people don't have it because it tastes so damn good that there has to be a reason for that. There's something in there we don't realize that tastes so good. <laughs> yeah, the, the food scientists are pretty smart folks. They know how to make stuff taste really good, so we want to eat them all the time, and that's kind of interesting. But, I mean, I think that's staying on the high end of good or high end of better is, is I mean, that's a pretty damn good place, and most people are not even close to that. You know, and that's, that's something. No, they think they are. Well, I mean, they don't even know. They don't know how sick they are. But exactly. I mean, your comment, because I am constantly asked about pre-workouts, and I'm like, I, I don't take them. I mean, I'll drink a glass of water, me up a little salt water. And, but, I mean, this is, a, a, you know, kind of a, a thing we've gotten as a, as a population, you know, particularly in the fitness industry. It's like it's, we've been brainwashed into we got to have this stuff to perform. And it's, it's, I'm like, maybe you don't. And it's kind of yeah, interesting. It's like, I'm, I'm tired. Uh, I work all day. I need a bunch of pre-workout before I, you know, no, you don't. Like you said, like Stan had Mark do, Bell do that with the salt. Put some salt on your tongue before you work out and go. See how you feel. You're going to feel fucking phenomenal. I've, I've noticed it myself that late at night when I would get these carb cravings, I would just have three eggs and salt them. Boom, got done. There goes the craving. I wasn't craving carbs. I was craving sodium. I... I I don't really react well to coffee. I could, I could drink five cups of coffee and go to bed. It doesn't do a thing for me. So why the hell would I put that much shit in my body? 
I don't need it. We don't need half the shit we do. Yeah, we're, we're kind of told we do, but I mean, it's, it's very interesting. Well, and I'll tell you what, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. I mean, like I said, uh, you know, I, I've always looked up to you as someone that's been just, just phenomenal as far as what you've done. And, and I mean, you know, just, uh, you know, you were so far above, ahead of your peers that, it would, you know, like I said, I think that's, that speaks for itself. But uh, Well, look, now it's your turn. Well, we're trying, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm getting ready to, I'm getting ready to go to the, uh, these rowing world championships. So hopefully I win that. That'll be my little prize. Oh, for you the, got the, you, you got the nice long everything for rowing. Yeah. I'm, I'm built for that throwing stuff and rowing. I mean, that's, that's, yeah, uh, I, I, I still see you doing your, uh, the videos of you doing your rows in the gym. Yeah. 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 Getting there doing that stuff. So I'm going to try to try to try to push up, maybe get another world record in that, but that'll be fun for me. Yeah. But, and, uh, and, and you're not going to try, you're going to do. Well, that's, trying that's is an excuse. You're right. That's, a, that's like the Yoda. <laughs> How many people try to diet? That's right. That's like, what is it? it was a Yoda that says there is no try. There's only do or to do not, yeah. I think is what, yeah. what he said to paraphrase Yoda probably badly. He's probably pretty wise on that. Well, and let people know where they can get a hold of you, uh, find out more about you and anything else you want our, our listeners usually, to know. Usually uh, I respond to every, all the messages I get either on, on Facebook at, you know, Ed Cohen or at Eddie Cohen on Instagram. Awesome. 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 Ed, thanks. It's been, oh, uh, our, guys. yeah, it's been our pleasure to have you on the show. We'll look forward to getting to something. You know, I'm sure when you have like-minded people whose only interest is to help others and get better. Um, it's not really a, a podcast. It's just a bunch of guys talking about cool yeah. shit. Yeah. It's a conversation. It makes it really, yeah. really easy. <laughs> You know, and I, and I hope this is something because, you know, you and I and Zach and, and lots of other people out there, we, we really just want the best for other people. And, you know, it, it's hard because there's a lot of people out there that really don't have our interests at heart and they're just out to, to, to make a profit at, at the, the expense of our health in many cases. And so hopefully, you know, with things like social media, there'll be enough people out there that stand up to, that can really make a difference because yeah, I, like, what, what was the line you said about the study thing? it's results-based it should be yeah i mean it's you know it, it it's got to be results-based you know and i think we talk about evidence-based but then we're like well the evidence is tainted and we don't know who paid for it and and you know so we've got to look at what is the result like when you talk about what is the result when you look in the mirror and, and it's not we're being brainwashed to say we can't figure it out if we're healthy or not and i mean i'm like it's not that hard you know like it's if you feel like garbage it's really it's really yeah, it's really yeah. not yeah set yourself up to be good. Absolutely. Absolutely. And well, like I said, absolute pleasure. Hopefully, and I hope like I can, I can meet you live one day, you know, maybe oh, I'll definitely. run into one of these, one of these, we'll find a spot, whether, whether I come, you know, what? I, I think I'm setting up a, a, uh, a seminar some, somewhere in California right now. For, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, that's Ryan. So I'm in California. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and we'll, we'll definitely find a, a place to meet either. Like if you ever go to Arnold classic or, yeah, or something sure. like that. Sure. Um, I'm there this year too. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I look forward to it. And I, like I said, maybe we'll get Stan on the show too. Cause he's a, he's another like-minded individual. He's got some great stuff. I think he's, and again, results are what count. And I think he's getting results and you've gotten results and that's the end of the, that's the end of the day. Yes. What we see. Uh, with, with, with the vertical diet, um, because you're getting people not to eat shit. Yeah. That's a, the, the biggest change already. And then a lot of his is based performance based. Sure. So he, for him, he always needed the more, the more carbs and stuff like this. Yep. And what I will say about him is the doctors and professors that have done a lot of these studies, Stan actually calls them up on the phone or goes 
flies out and meets him to try to learn stuff. And he knows he's constantly, constantly learning all the time. So it's, it always develops over time because we already said we always learn. We're always going to be, I won't say wrong, we're going to be mistaken at that point in time yeah, <laughs> about sure. what we talk about. But that's okay because it led me to something better. Good. All right. Well, what now, if after that? I eat a steak now, I got to run out to Costco because New York strips are still on sale. I got some, <laughs> man. That's what I, I think I've got even short. I can't remember. I got short ribs or New York strips on there. And Costco's got some damn good meat, man. I got to tell you, that's, that's, yeah. uh, you know, that, that's, they're good, man. They, they know how to buy it. They, they're, they're a good organization. I have a lot of respect yeah. for Costco. So anyway. It's under $8 a pound. So yeah, that's nice. That's a nice yeah. price. As long as we keep, let's say start taxing that stuff, then that's going to be crazy. We're going to piss. Oh, they'll out. find the, they'll find a way to, to say it's, some uh, the big farm will find a way to tax that shit too. Well, we hope not. Anyway, we got to yeah. fight the fight. All right, Ed, thank you so much, Zach. All right, big guy. Thank you. It was actually a, a really, really good, nice, easy conversation amongst friends. Yeah. And uh, I learn every time I talk to people. Awesome, Ed. Thanks. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with hosts Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. If you enjoyed the show, please consider following us on social media and checking out our websites. Links to those can be found in the show notes. Also, if you have any questions or comments, please do not hesitate to shoot us an email at hpopodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning into the show.